This is High Motor by BetMGM. Andrew Dowdy and Chase Kitty from BetMGM Sportsbook online at BetMGM.com. On your phone, the BetMGM Sportsbook app. And we're talking college football today on the show. We just rolled through a bunch of NFL previews the last month and a half. Some other NFL episodes, but very little college football content. Honestly, since National Championship six and a half months ago. So that's where we're going today. And we're we're going to do it by... I feel like we've been teasing it for a long time, where it's been, yeah, college football is coming, but at that point, we didn't really know how we were going to structure the NFL previews. We ended up doing NFC, AFC back-to-back. I thought there might be a gap. But anyways, we're going to do this by asking 10 questions. It's kind of a kickoff to our preview series. We're going to preview all P5 conferences, also do a G5 preview, an FCS preview. Those seven previews coming before the season kicks off just over, what, five weeks or so, week zero. But first, you had some comments that you mentioned to open, some observations after the NBA Finals. What's on your mind today? Yeah, I mean, I guess you could call this topical or whatever, but it, it just had me thinking. Like we, we're we getting the sports media machine rolling here now that the Bucs have won the NBA title. And I should say right off the top, like, congrats to Giannis, congrats to the Bucks, congrats to Milwaukee. That's got to be a nice feeling as a smaller market to really – to finally punch through the homegrown draft pick, all of that. Like, I don't want to sound like I don't appreciate it. But as we often do, just the, the playing the result is really in, in high form right now. Like, I don't think people are thinking or reflecting enough on the idea that if Kevin Durant wore shoes that fit his feet, the Bucks would have lost in the second round. And instead, and I mean, that's not hyperbole. <laughs> it, it really happened. If he wore shoes that fit his feet, Bucks are out in the second round. And instead, Giannis is a champion. <laughs> Budenholzer is like a, a great coach who's never going to get fired now. Chris Middleton, we're going to talk about him completely differently I, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that the entire NBA model might shift just a little bit away from this super team. Let's get all the players together and, and they'll they'll put themselves together onto these teams, kind of like the Nets and, and what happened with Anthony Davis and LeBron and, and even back to some of the Miami stuff. I, I think you might see a small shift away from that. And it's all because of how things shook out in this weird postseason where people got hurt and you know what if what if what if what if and all of the ways the dominoes fell it's it's it just I think it reminded me how fragile a lot of the history is like if one tiny thing we reference newsroom way too much on this podcast you and I but there's that great scene toward the end of season two where Jeff Daniels is going through historical what ifs and like well you know if the guy that was trying to assassinate FDR in 1929 or whatever, wasn't standing on a wobbly chair, then America might not survive the Great Depression, but instead he was standing on a wobbly chair and he shoots the mayor of Chicago and FDR still elected and and New Deal and whatever. So it it, it is like, I'm happy for Milwaukee. I genuinely am As, as a small market guy myself like that. It always makes me happy when you see like more, mid-level cities win things. But I am kind of obsessed, I feel like, right now with this idea that 
if a million different things hadn't happened exactly this way, like we would be writing a totally different story right now based on whoever else won the NBA playoffs. And uh, I mean, it's it's just I don't know. It, it's 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 different, and, and we're we're all gonna play the result now. And I, I get it. I'm in the media. I, I understand how it all works, but it does feel a little different to me where I'm just seeing all of the other outcomes that could have happened. And I think it's a good reminder for gambling too, how like, don't get people ask me, well, why is it like, why do you go against public narratives? Why is there a value in what people are talking about on TV? Well, because a lot of this isn't supposed to happen, man. Like this wasn't written in the sky. Like this isn't some ordained thing. It's just how it happened and it could have happened differently. So I don't know who the favorite's going to be next year in the NBA. I I guess Milwaukee will be up there because they won it this year. But this feels a lot like the the Miami team last year, where they go on a run to the finals, and then this year they they got bounced pretty fast. And sometimes that happens. So I think a good reminder for all of us uh, that that don't worship at the altar of first take, like. Things can just happen differently if you change one or two small, small details, including you know, a size 14 shoe versus a size 13 shoe. When you said that you wanted to talk about something, I had no idea. You just mentioned NBA Finals, and I'm actually glad you brought this up because this is something I think about quite a bit, and I think, I mean, it falls under so many different buckets. One of them being, we can just, like, Bucks fans can celebrate this and love this and enjoy this. As they should. Especially with the frustration of Aaron Rodgers and the Packers you know, failing so much over the last 10 years like that. That's great for like, you can celebrate that, but you can also say, holy shit. If Kevin Durant was a centimeter back, we would have lost. Like that is, there's nothing wrong with saying that. I was just talking about this the other day with David Bakhtiari going down with a torn ACL. If he didn't go down with a torn ACL, I would hundred percent believe that the Packers win that box game and ultimately win the Super Bowl. That sucks. But like you can, that's not to take anything away from what the Bucks did at Lambeau or what the Bucks did to the Chiefs, it's okay to just think two different things. And I think too often, like you said, it's seen more so as, oh, the Bucks didn't deserve it. Sure, they did. They made shots. Giannis scored 50 points last night. Like, it's fine to have it both ways. And I think that's extremely uncomfortable for people. It's kind of like how going into last college football season, I think we had some sort of discussion about we don't know how maybe it might have been during the season. We don't know really how to evaluate things this season. And I think that makes us uncomfortable. It's we don't know what results would have been different if this was a real season. Would this team have played differently if there were fans, etc. And not knowing like a firm stance to take makes us uncomfortable. I think that kind of falls under the same bucket here. It is just fine. As I'm not even an NBA fan, but I completely agree with you that I don't know why we can't just say it's nuts that that happened with Kevin Durant it's nuts that maybe if Trey Young didn't get hurt they would have won that game I have no idea but I think that it's bizarre that people love sports for being unpredictable and wild moments to happen but in the case of this like Kevin Durant being a centimeter away from winning that game it's almost like we don't want to talk about it because the Bucks won, or we almost want to talk about it too much. Like, there's no middle ground here, even though that's what attracts us all to sports, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it's a lucky good thing. You know, like sometimes, like sometimes you're good enough to just win because that's how great you are. 
But like, like you know, like Michael Jordan, who you know was, I think, a little oversold and over commercialized and everything. But I feel like when you watch the Last Dance, he he won that last championship just just because he was great. You know, Rodman was like a borderline alcoholic, and Pippen wasn't really right, and the team's falling apart around him. But he was great, and he made it happen. He he won that game or he won that series against Utah almost by himself, it feels like. And sometimes you are that good, but a lot of times you have to be lucky and good. And Milwaukee here, I, I, I have said this before, I don't know why people think that luck is such a is such a knock. Like, it's not a knock to be lucky, to have things go your way. You often need that in life. Milwaukee was really lucky in these playoffs. A lot of teams got hurt. They stayed relatively healthy. Uh, they they got to play Brooklyn when Brooklyn was kind of falling apart. They got to play an Atlanta team that you know had a Trey Young issue where he wasn't all the way healthy. Uh, it seemed like maybe Chris Paul wasn't all the way healthy in the final. But you, you you don't have control over that. You can only play the teams in front of you. So they were both lucky, and also Giannis was really really good. And a lot of times you need both to win, and they got both. And all I'm wondering is. If Giannis had been all the way that good, but maybe they were a little less lucky, how does it all play out? And how does everybody talk about it differently? And uh, that that's it's one of those moments that I think will stay with me years into the future and affect how I evaluate things or handicap things or, or think think through sports issues of the day. All right, let's jump into college football. Like I said, we're going to do this by asking 10 questions. I think you kind of when, when we were trying to figure out what we were going to talk about before we jumped into previews, you kind of pitched this as like a whip around a 10,000 foot, um, you know, overview of what's not necessarily like, what are the big stories in college football? We'll touch on some of those, but how can we just kind of, I know we reset the table back in the spring, but I feel like we're almost resetting the table again with some 10, with 10 questions here. We each have five questions. And, and again, mine aren't just like these massive headlines in college football. I want us to try to think about a few things here. And the idea here is to be a whip around episode where we hit 10 different topics, you know, maybe a minute or two a piece. And that way we kind of get this overview of college football before we start with ACC, Big 12, Big 10, etc. So the first question being, I mean, we're talking here on, on Wednesday, early evening, late afternoon, several hours, not even several hours after the news broke of, of Oklahoma and Texas Reaching out to the SEC, now we know that Greg Sankey came out and gave a no comment on that. There hasn't really been any other rumblings. You and I are generally skeptical of it. I'm not saying the Chronicles report is wrong. I'm sure that that did happen. But generally, I'm skeptical of it because there hasn't been that much movement lately. There's been no indication that Texas and Oklahoma are unhappy in the Big 12. We always knew that realignment wasn't to get kicked up again. But I think the question here, and this is what you said earlier, is what does the health of the Big 12 look like right now to you? Yeah, um, I mean, I think pretty good. I, I think football and basketball have always been sort of the yin and yang of, of the Big 12. And what I mean by that is when you look at basketball and the postseason format of what that is, the way the Big 12 is structured, which is a tight conference where everybody plays everybody, and the middle class is very robust, and the the bottom is relatively limited. Uh, that is paid off in a big way in basketball because you have huge percentages of the conference get into the tournament every year, 
in a 68-team tournament, you have 80, 70, 90% of the conference making that postseason. In football, it's kind of the opposite, where you have a tournament, at least how it stands right now, that's not optimized well for the way the Big 12 does things because you have a 10-team league where everybody plays everybody once. It's the only conference that does it like that. And because there's a healthy middle class, that middle class jumps up and, and, and beats the top one or two teams every year. And all of a sudden, you know, you kind of need some help from the other peaks and valleys around college football to get an Oklahoma or a Texas or, or one of those top teams into the playoff picture. So I think the same thing that I've always thought, that the Big 12 is relatively healthy and you, you have to, to some extent, divorce yourself from playoff results in how you think about it because of its format. Uh, I, I'm totally fine with where the Big 12 is. And I would add about the, the whole SEC thing. Like, everybody should calm the hell down just a little bit on this whole... Art. Like, I was taking a nap. I woke up to a text from you. I got on Twitter... Everybody in my feed, which is mostly college football and college basketball people, is losing their mind. The West Virginia people are already out the door and think the house is on fire. I mean, it, it is. It was crazy. And then I was like, "What? What is even the news?" And it turns out it's a Texas A and M reporter who says that Texas and Oklahoma want to leave for the SEC. No shit. Like, and, and I don't. I don't know the guy. I'm not saying his report's wrong. But it is not hard, if you understand how these little news stories work, it is not hard to imagine how Texas A&M, mostly SEC reporter guy, gets a story that that is favorable to the SEC, let's say, and is not favorable to some of their chief regional rivals for recruits. Yeah, honestly, I don't really have anything else to add to that. I think we're generally on the same page with you. I probably have less skepticism about the actual report. I mean, we're on the same page that somebody wanted this news out. Like, I don't think he's digging through emails or having meetings at the gas station. Like, somebody wanted this news out. So that piece of skepticism is there. The fact remains is that I still think this will create, like, a little bit of hysteria, and it's hard to separate the hysteria that matters, like your West Virginia friends, Quite frankly, they don't matter, obviously, but there it will be some hysteria elsewhere. That being said, like if I'm West Virginia, I'm still I'm still sending a text to the ACC and just kind of filling that out. If I'm Kansas, I'm still calling the Big Ten right now. If I'm Baylor, I'd be worried as hell. Maybe if I'm Texas Tech, maybe TCU, I'd be worried as hell. Like I, I think that there still will prompt hysteria because everybody is so hungry for this and we haven't had this like a real realignment now for even like real realignment talk for the last six or seven years. So I think there will be some hysteria from this, but generally I say, let's just calm down because I, I, right now I don't see the reasons why Texas and Oklahoma want to leave. They're in a very good position financially. If Texas truly thinks that they're headed up in football, they're going to be in a really good position to make the playoffs. So I, I just don't understand uh, why they would be leaving. What do you got for us here? Well, I want to start you in a nice comfortable place that you like to talk mm. about. We're going to Lincoln, aren't we? Well, no, I, 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 more of a more of a topic, which is the coaching statuses of certain uh, people. So, how many of these people make it to twenty twenty two? Do you think? 
Jim Harbaugh, Ed Orgeron, Clay Helton. Orgeron will. I think just the town alone will get. I, don't, I haven't done LSU projections. I don't have their schedule pulled up in front of me. I think town alone will get them enough like mid-level to high-end wins that he'll be fine for a year. Recruiting will be fine. I don't think that Harbaugh is going to come back just based upon how his contract is structured. I know the extension got a lot of noise, but it basically, it basically means he has no buyout. And I think that Clay Houghton will be gone. I think that they will finally be willing to pay that buyout of $15 million. I'm pretty convinced that those two will be gone and Orgeron will stay. I thought you were going to give me some more names, some more tricky names. Uh, I mean, we, kind can, of we can talk Penn State, but I really wanted to keep nah. it to the uh, to to the the high level, very visible people definitely know about. Uh, you're you're sweeping out the cobwebs. I don't want to go like deep cut coaching status, even though I know you're prepared to do that 365 days a year. Right now, what is your favorite? college football futures bet now this is around the time when you start looking at this hard we'll get more into this with each of our conference previews i imagine we'll do a full college football betting episode maybe just focusing on futures closer to the season but as we sit right now like what's what's your favorite futures bet i don't know that i'm ready to declare a favorite i i don't i first of all i don't have a lot of my research in front of me and second of all i don't know that i'm done yet but i can tell you one that i've been looking at really, really heavily right now and that I was going to bring up a little bit later in this podcast, which is I am really taking a hard look at UCLA. Uh, I think I think wow. the Pac-12 is going to get a little bit of a publicity bump this year. I think that it's possible that, uh, that there, there will just be some extra oxygen in the room and that's got to go to somebody and I think it's possible it could go to the Pac-12. They bring back an insane amount of talent. Like, I I mean, I don't mean like, wow, look at this roster relative to Alabama. They're so talented. I just mean in terms of what they bring back, it's basically the whole team. Uh, so I, I wonder if in a year where everything settles back down a little bit, I know things are still kind of nuts in California relative to, to other places, but relative to last year, I've got to think that, that things are a little more under control. Uh, I wonder if they can have a nice year. And I'm not saying they're going to make the playoff or anything, but I think if, if you look where the expectations are, they're relatively low, and I think they could be a pretty good team this year. I would not be surprised if they finished the year in the top 25. There, there's not a lot to look at when you're getting into the last 10 days of July. NBA is over. We've got some random hardcore tennis stuff going on. If you're a golf guy, congrats. I, I can't handicap golf. I very, very rarely look at golf. Uh, so the options are limited for a little while. Uh, unless you, you want to get in the Andrew Dowdy school of, of betting on biathlon. You want me to jump in here? I'm going to stay away from that. Uh, so we're kind of looking at baseball right now, and then maybe, maybe you want to peek at some Olympic stuff uh, here in a few days. I think what I like is going into this weekend, low volume. I'm looking at a series between the Giants and the Pirates. Not only are the Giants, you know, arguably the best team in the NL West this year, uh, but they're also pretty reasonably hot right now coming out of a series with the Dodgers where they took some games off them. Uh, they continue to play really well. The Pirates, 
are actually playing decently well right now for who the Pirates have been all year. But this is, I mean, it's just a massive gap in how good these teams are and how consistent they are. Pirates going out west to play the best team probably that they've played in a long time. I know that the prices are going to be high. I think given uh, certain pitching matchups, you can probably allay that by taking the run line. Uh, But I am looking at hammering some of these Giants-Pirates lines this weekend. And uh, your return might not be great, but I do think that the opportunities are relatively low risk, and you can always mitigate that by betting those run lines. Question number four for college football. What do you have? Uh, so this is this is sort of my big question that, that I've outlined here, and I've got a couple of, of sub-notes for you. So I'm wondering, more than maybe anything else going into this, into this year, we talked a lot last year about, well, you know, COVID, is this going to be the great equalizer? Are we going to see a lot of parity? And then for all the parity we wondered about, the four playoff teams we got were Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame. So relatively straightforward at the top. And of course, it could all shake out like that again this year. But when you look at all that those four teams lost, Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and Clemson had 34 picks in the NFL draft. And if you want to add Florida and Georgia, who were two of the teams that have been pretty solid the last few years uh, and have competed for playoff spots, in Georgia's case, made the playoff, those two teams lost an additional 17. That's 51 draft picks between the six of them. That's more than a round and a half, just those six teams. I'm wondering if we're going to see a little bit more parity, not at the very top, because, you know, I feel like Clemson's probably going to make the playoff again. I'm not suggesting that. But I'm wondering if, you know, through the top 10, the top 15, the top 20, I'm wondering if you're going to see newer names. I'm wondering if the SEC is going to be more interesting this year, maybe a little less top-heavy, more on that in a little bit. Uh, But I I am wondering that because those six teams all rank 100th or worse in returning production. And three of the six, I, I I don't have it in front of me who, but I think it's like Alabama, Ohio State, and Notre Dame, like are in the bottom 10 of all of FBS. So I'm wondering, when you look at the top of the returning production, you have teams like Toledo that have 99% of their returning production coming back. It's by far the highest average returning production that we've ever seen because of all the leniency given to these older players that these top programs don't have because they went into the draft. I'm wondering if you th- how much you think that's going to be a recurring narrative this fall. This idea that really good mid-majors and sort of middle-class power five schools, they've retained a lot of their talent where the the more, uh, let's say, the the pro-farm system type of programs lost their regular amount, lost maybe even a little more than their regular amount uh, when you look at like the SEC draft records. I'm wondering how much you think that's going to actually happen this fall. That's a really good question. I think we could probably do an entire episode on it. And it's honestly something that I haven't, thought about that much because I usually well one being as we've alluded to before that returning production stats we're just in a whole different world this year with those numbers I mean they're just through the roof compared to what they normally are I think you cited something last week that normally the average is somewhere in the 60s like 68 66 and this year it's like 76 
So on one hand, I just don't know how to weigh that. I have no idea, and I'm always... I'm all, As much as I point to returning production, I'm also skeptical. Like, if a bad team has a bunch of guys back... I mean, Arkansas, for example, has a bunch of guys back, and even though Arkansas exceeded expectations last year, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to take a step forward, in my opinion, in a tough division. That's the first part. The second part is, I don't care when Clemson loses guys. I don't care when Ohio State loses guys. I don't care when Alabama loses guys. They, they've just proved that they're immune to roster turnover, and even in a year where they're, they're, they aren't joined by as many teams in the bottom because so many teams have 95, 96, even in the high 80s coming back, I still just don't care. That's the second part. The third part is, I don't see who's going to come up and like challenge that. Does that mean that this is the opportunity for Texas A&M? Does this mean that this is the opportunity for, for North Carolina or Iowa State or finally Georgia gets in or Cincinnati? I'm sure we'll talk a lot about Cincinnati and their real shot at the playoff in the G5 episode and coming up here. But there are too many like unknowns with that question. I'm almost curious... Should we take it down like even a level more? I mean, you kind of mentioned like top 10, top 15-ish. I would be more curious if we see more parity like 20 to 25. And if we don't, who's going to be the team that pops up? Because there is a team, regardless of how this year is shaping out returning production-wise. For example, like I'm really high on Boston College this year. Like I think Boston College is going to be the team that with their schedule, they really only have to go to Clemson. Like, that's it. This team can win 10 games. And I think they could be like that type of team that we're sitting here with playoff projections come late October and we're saying Boston College is going to be like 23, 24, 25. So I'm more curious what that back end looks like because I'm just very skeptical that anybody is actually going to pop up and challenge these different teams. I think Notre Dame, you mentioned them, is kind of just a different case. I think Cincinnati is a better team than Notre Dame. I think Cincinnati is going to go to South Bend and win that game. So if, I mean, I didn't really answer your question because I think it's just a bigger conversation. Brian Kelly revenge game. I didn't even think about that. It's been there for, I mean, he got there in what? 20, 2010, 12 of the top 13 returning production teams this year are G five teams. Maybe that's a G five topic. Does that matter? If so, how much does it matter? You know, the only P five school that's in there. It's not Kansas. It's not Kansas. Who is it? I don't even... Wait, what? Uh, UCLA. Oh. I have a narrative question for you here, too. Give it to me. What's the dumbest narrative we're going to hear this season? Oh, I mean, it's tough because there's dumb narratives every year. But, uh, like, what? what is the one that is just going to chap your ass? We're, we're sitting here in October, and we usually don't talk about stuff that everybody else is talking about, but I can still hear us hopping on for a few minutes at the beginning of a show and saying, why are we talking about this? Like, my example is that now that we know playoff expansion is coming, I think that we're going to hear a lot of people bitching that it should have happened this year. It should have happened sooner, and I don't care. I'm just saying we have a real football season. We know that expansion is coming. Just enjoy the season. And I think that everybody's going to be looking through these scenarios and saying, oh, this team would have made it if they would have just bumped it up a year. That was never going to happen. There was always going to be a plan in place, a multi-year plan where this is not going to be implemented. Like, that's something that I see coming this year that's going to piss me off because people aren't just enjoying the college football season. What do you see coming? I don't, and I'm not just saying this because it's in the news today. I really think this is going to stick with people for a long, long time, especially because it it supports this this doomed Big 12 narrative that lots of people have felt for years and years. 
when the Big 12 is going into October and they don't have like an ironclad inside track to a playoff berth, how many people are you think are going to trot out? Eh, that's why Oklahoma wants to go to the SEC. Eh, that's right a really there. good answer. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's going to yeah, happen. That, 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 that's like the, that's the type of thing that I'm looking for here with that question. Yeah, I see, I see that coming from a mile away. Even though this this might not even be news 48 hours from now, I still think this is the sort of off-season kernel that's going to it's going to get stuck as a pebble in somebody's shoe and they're going to be able to pull it out whenever they want <laughs> 3 months from now. It's going to happen. All right, I think that was question 5 and I'm not entirely sure. So I, I think have, you're on number 6. I have totally lost track of how many questions we've gone through at this point. I I'm have two left, that. so I assume you have three left. I've so got two left. As, I've got two left as well. All right, some I don't know what it was. So somebody's got to win the SEC this year. But as I have already noted here, we've got a lot of uh, talent out the door at Alabama. I mean, they, I talk about turning over a massive amount of draft picks. Uh, we, we, I, talk, I mentioned that Florida and Georgia combined lost 17 NFL draft picks. Uh, Texas A&M, they don't bring a lot back. They rank 116th there in returning production. Uh, one of the people they lost is Kellen Mond, obviously. So, so Jimbo, this could be an opportunity for him because of the rest of the conference being down, except, oh, look, he's kind of got a lot to replace there as well. Somebody has to win this conference. So who do you like, and do you think it will be a new— I, I guess, one, who do you like? Two, is this a new school team or an old school team? I don't think you're going to pick Vanderbilt or anybody, but like there, there are some people that really believe in Kentucky this year. Uh, maybe you're into that. And how much do you even buy into this idea? I feel like when you post a record number of NFL draft picks— you have to have a little bit of a rebound year. Like, like you, you can only kind of go do down you? from there. But like, but that's okay. First of all, you so know th- how there I'm you go. So me. you maybe don't feel that way. Well, that's what I know. Like you know how, how I'm going to answer this question, right? I guess I don't you know, know that, for sure. But you, you're pretty sure that based upon what I just said, I just don't care that Alabama lost players. I don't. There was too big of a gap in the SEC, like you mentioned. I don't. I don't dislike Georgia's here this year. I don't dislike Florida. Florida's actually one of my favorite bets. They're plus 450 to win the SEC East, which I think is an absolute steal because I don't see the gap between them and Georgia. Shane Beamer? Being that big. I don't get <laughs> I think that Beamer might be a couple of years away. Whatever, bro. That being 12 said. 12-1, South Carolina. I think Bama, right now I think Bama's going to win it. I think ultimately they will win it. I don't know like what kind of classifies as an outsider. No, Kentucky's not winning this conference. Kentucky's not winning the East this year. And I'm generally, we're, I feel like we're usually higher on Kentucky going into the year than most people are. So to answer your question, it's Bama right now. I don't see an outsider. If you want to call AM an outsider, that's fine because they just generally haven't done it. LSU is probably considered an outsider after last year, but this is Bama's conference. They've shown us nothing over the last, God, what, 12-ish years now to suggest that Roster turnover means anything to them. They still have an elite quarterback. There's no reason not to trust this team at all. Yeah, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. The The idea, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but when Alabama loses a massive draft class, they don't often bounce back right away. And, and you can go in and look at the years they've won championships. 
And oftentimes it's kind of like every other year. Uh, it's, you know, they, they'll, they'll win one and then they'll have a down year for them, which is obviously still very, very good competing for SEC championships, competing for playoff berths. But then they'll win one and then you'll, they'll go down and then they'll win, I think, once they won two in a row. But they, they kind of do this like high-low thing uh, if, you, if you look at the years they win. So obviously I'm not saying they're going to suck this year, but I, I would if I have the opportunity to fade them making the playoffs – I would think about it because I could see them having like a 10 and two type year this year where they're good, but you know, they lose an iron bowl that maybe they were supposed to win. Uh, and it's close and they lose a road game in, in, you know, against a good opponent and maybe Georgia ends up winning the conference or something like that. Although there's a lot of Georgia hype right now. And that, that makes me nervous about that as well. Somebody's got to win this conference. I just, I really don't know who it's going to be. Uh, but I'm guessing not Alabama, based on what I've I mean, seen. I don't think your argument's wrong because you go back to, I think Alabama set that first round record this year. So anything else before that obviously wasn't as big of a departure in terms of high end talent. But like 2019, you have LSU, who had, in my opinion, the greatest team in college football history. And I think that kind of overshadowed that Alabama was like still really good, but they weren't great. And that Auburn game at the end of the season was kind of ugly. So, like, I, I think that your argument is fine based upon, like, that alone. There's just not enough of that and not enough of me saying, I really like AM this year. I really like Georgia. I really like Florida. They're all really good top 12 teams. But there's just not enough for me to say that that is going to happen this year. I want to stay in the West. With your buddy Ole Miss... <laughs> They're plus sixteen hundred to win the West. How many dollars are you putting on Ole Miss plus sixteen hundred to win the West this year? That's an interesting question because you know, as I said, somebody has to win that conference, and not even that conference, the division. Okay, somebody's got to win. Somebody's got to win that 1600, division. Sixteen hundred to win the West. And Ole Miss, I think, might have the most returning production of any SEC team. So, I don't think it's a crazy bet. Uh, I, I'm I'm not gonna like load up on it or anything. That might be like a five dollar type of thing for me. But uh, I, I don't I don't think it's crazy to project them to be competing for that. Uh, I, I think it could happen. I think my my Alabama thing is more about like I'd rather have the field. It's not so much right. that I. I see one particular team, and so Ole Miss would definitely qualify as that. Like, oh, you know, I wasn't really thinking about them a ton, but yeah, I knew somebody was going to come out of somewhere and win. So yeah, I could see that. I, I think. Well, that's, that's why not crazy. the question, like, I mean, your love for Ole Miss and Kiffin has been well documented. So the question might seem like a joke, but it's it's not based upon. I mean, their schedule alone. They go to Alabama, and I just really don't see him winning that game. It's in October second. So what is that like week? five-ish I really don't see them winning that game they get A&M at home they get LSU at home uh they miss Georgia and Florida they go to Auburn like the schedule sets up for Ole Miss they're gonna be I mean we had this conversation every year in like October no matter what you actually think of a team on the field let's look at their schedule and see how it sets up to where they could potentially max out can they get into like that fringe playoff conversation? It was Kentucky a couple years ago. It was Colorado like three years ago. And we're usually ahead of the curve on that. Mississippi has that type of schedule this year. 
So I don't see them winning at Alabama, but which obviously just crushes their SEC West hopes because then you need two losses out of Alabama to get that tiebreaker, and I I just don't see two conference losses coming from Alabama. So it wasn't a joke of a question because I actually like how their schedule sets up this year. I don't think 1,600 is the right number. I think that this was higher at like 25, 26, or even 3,000. But I'm actually curious if you were going to put money on. That doesn't seem like it, though. Uh, no, I I really might. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you um, where I would push back a little bit about your Alabama thing is if I'm looking to back Ole Miss – I would rather them play Alabama on October 2nd than November 2nd or December 2nd. So I, I kind of like that they get them early when they've only played maybe three or four games and probably half those were against Kent State and a bunch of teams that don't really matter or count. So, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I, I think uh, I think that's, that's going to go on the board. We, we might have to take a look at that. Love it. All right, we have a couple more. Uh, one more from you. What do you got? I think the Pac-12 is going to have its best season in years. Why? I think the depth. It's with a, it's USC, a little bit with Arizona State. With yeah, Utah, it's, a, it's like it's a little bit of a depth thing. I think uh, they're going to have kind of like the Big Twelve. I think they're going to have a really solid middle class this year. Uh, I we know about my history on this podcast of wondering <laughs> what's going to happen with Jimmy Lake in Washington. Uh, so I, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm not expecting Washington to be a, a top North contender, but I think they could be fine. Uh, I think UCLA is going to be good. I think USC is going to be good. I think Utah should be good. I think Oregon will be good. And I don't know if I like their playoff chances just because that, man, the East Coast bias thing is real. It's, it, it's, it's not so much an East Coast bias as it is a West Coast hatred because people don't stay up to watch their games. It's true. So, uh, when you have less exposure, you have, you know, you're devoting less of your brain to thinking about them. That said, I do think they're going to have, you know, several top 25 teams and that, you know, we can pretend like that doesn't matter because it's a list that doesn't ultimately have any impact on anything, but it does inject you into the talking points of the week to week. And I think somebody in that, in, in that conference maybe UCLA but maybe somebody else is is going to be quite good and I think they're going to have a good year and we haven't I haven't talked about Stanford yet we don't know what's going on with them that maybe they've got some stuff figured out maybe not I don't know but I, I I just feel I guess that's more of a gut call and you can tell me if you feel like I'm talking like an asshole right now but uh, I, I feel like the Pac-12 is going to have a good year this year I just worry about what's... I mean, we've talked about this before. The Pac-12, they get dumped on because they don't make the playoff, and that's fine. Like, that is that is rightfully so. All the financial issues, the Pac-12 network, like, that is all deserved. But the Pac-12 hasn't, like, been that bad. They've had really good depth. They rarely have just horrendous teams. They don't have a Kansas in that conference. They don't have a Vanderbilt in that conference. Arizona is probably going to suck this year, but that's more so an anomaly. I just don't know... When you say like a great year or whatever word you used, to me that means they're going to make the playoff. And with Oregon going to Ohio State, I just don't see them winning there. That means the margin for error is basically zero for Oregon. USC has to go to Notre Dame. I can't remember Utah and uh, Arizona State's not conference schedule off the top of my head. UCLA, LSU, week two. Like where, 
that's what I have a hard time with. What, what do you think the spread for that game is right now? It should be up. Yeah, it is. No, I know what it is. I'm asking you, what do you think it is? I think I actually know. I think it's LSU 7. LSU 4.5. That smells like a UCLA cover to me. That smells I like a win. I don't think it does. Anyways, I don't think you're talking like an asshole, but I think it's... It feels to me more like something that you want to happen versus something yeah, that will actually that, happen. That could be true, uh, but I, I I am looking forward to watching what happens with that conference this year, uh, especially Stanford, man. We, we talked, yeah. we had a really interesting conversation last summer about Stanford, and I'm waiting for them to kind of figure it out and get back to where they've been. And David Shaw is just an yep. awesome guy. Yep. Maybe I'm getting older, but I, I root for the guys that aren't, obnoxious, whiny assholes. Number 10, or whatever number we're on. Last question. the last one here. We had mentioned offline when the Big 12 news came out, I think it was last week, that they weren't going to reschedule games. If you have COVID issues, you either have to play with the guys that you have, whether that's 30 guys or 50 guys, um, or you're going to take a forfeit, and that will end up being a loss on your record. The SEC also came out, and so that's going to happen. I'm sure other conferences have come out. I just haven't been seeing all of it and paying attention to it. But it seems like that's going to be the widespread policy across college football. Do you believe that conferences will follow their own rules? And that's kind of the question I first asked you. If you take the Big 12, for example, and I don't have their schedules pull up in front of me, but the example that we said was, like, if Iowa State is 10-0 and and Oklahoma is 10-0, and and Iowa State is going to, like, Kansas and they can't play, and all of a sudden you have a loss on Kansas, like a loss to Kansas on your resume, we don't know how the playoff committee is going to look at that. But, like, do you really think that the Big 12 and all these other conferences are going to adhere to their own rules if you're talking about a playoff berth at stake? So I'm glad you asked me this because, and I did not tell you this uh, at the time, but I actually have a little bit of inside info on this. What do you got? So, BetMGM Scoop! What? Um... So to answer directly out of the gate your question, in the scenario that we talked about, which was you've got, hey, you've got 10-0 Iowa State playing 10-0 Oklahoma. Like, we're really canceling this game? Seriously? No, I don't think they're going to do that. But I do think they're going to get a rule like this on the books so that they can enforce it when appropriate. There was an instance last year in the ACC between Florida State and Clemson and I had uh, a, a source tell me at the time, uh, and Dabo kind of put it out into the media, like, this is ridiculous. Florida State's ducking us. And I talked to a source, and admittedly, it's a source on the Clemson side, so I guess, you know, take this for what it's worth. But the source laid out for me in, in pretty explicit detail, like, no, this is why they're ducking us. This happened. This happened. They're straight up lying about this, blah, 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 blah. Uh, allegedly. So I I wonder if that's the one we know about, right? I wonder if it was, if it seeped into the groundwater across college football, you know, inside of athletic departments last year, that this was happening. And this, a rule like this gives uh, conferences a little more teeth to deal with issues uh, that they feel like, are could be more easily resolved or, or 
Yeah, I think that's what I want to say. It could be more easily resolved. And if you have a case where, oh, no, actually, this is a pretty big game and we need to play it as is, then fine. We can do that. But if it's, you know, if it's a game that doesn't matter, we're not going to let people just, like, derail the season on an excuse that's maybe some bullshit. Uh, and, and I wonder if if scenarios like that which I'm pretty sold on what I was told, that, that Florida State may may have dodged that game. Uh, I'm pretty sold that that's what happened and that rules like this maybe are put in place to deal with scenarios like that. I also, just we'll wrap it up really quickly here, I also think it's, and I don't know this for a fact, but this is a strong guess that it's incentive to get your guys vaccinated because this is an issue across college football. We haven't seen the numbers from every single program, but they were just talking about the SEC the other day. I think it was like six of the teams had gotten over that 80% threshold, which is almost comically low. I mean, not to get to the 80% wanting to get vaccinated is still just mind-blowing to me, but I wonder if this is the incentive. If even though Texas Tech isn't making the playoff this year, they benefit financially if Oklahoma does, or if Iowa State does. And I know that fans like root against other Big 12 teams and there are rivalries and all that stuff, but ultimately the schools themselves want their conference foes to do well in every sport when you get to the ncaa tournament racking up those units makes a that's a lot of money for these conferences if iowa state makes a playoff that's a lot of money for these conferences and that will directly benefit texas tech so i i I think that that's maybe not the only reason but ultimately i see this as something to incentivize teams to say this is on you if you don't get vaccinated i agree with you i am very skeptical that they will adhere to this rule if there's a situation like that yeah yeah i mean i just i don't see them i mean kansas was the example but i pull up their schedule again kansas plays oklahoma october 23rd they play iowa state october 2nd so it's not an example like if they're going to kansas week 12 and all of a sudden you have lost kansas on their resume but i'm just i'm very skeptical that there are any sort of stakes which is purely financial from the big 12 standpoint that they will actually adhere to these rules anything else on this before we wrap it well and i, I think it's not just it's not just about um, it, it's about the recruiting part of it too you know if you're going to have a 10 and 0 team play a 9 and 0 team on national television with real playoff implications on the line like right. it's it's not just that you want that game to be played for the sake of your playoff contenders you want to play it for the sake of keeping your conference to make it full circle here. You want to make sure recruits are considering the Big 12 alongside the SEC. That, that hey, you can come to a Big 12 school and play in a game with, with pretty massive stakes. Uh, this, this isn't just you know somebody's Mickey Mouse conference. So I think that's a big part of it too. I, I think there's a lot of reasons why uh, ultimately you and I are right. Like have, have that rule on the books and that gives you a lot of flexibility uh, in, in terms of how you deal with problems that come up as a conference, but you also want your big games to be played. So we're back on Monday. That's Monday, July 26th, I believe. Check out those college football odds at betmgm.com or on that BetMGM Sportsbook app. You can ping us with any questions, any mailbag questions, topic requests, etc. on Twitter at HighMotorPod. Any specific betting questions to Chase at ChaseAKitty on Twitter. A lot more college football coming on High Motor by BetMGM. We hope to See you throughout the final month of the offseason as we preview all these conferences and get into some prediction stuff down the road. Thank you for listening to High Motor by BetMGM.